Good day. Happy Thursday night, everybody. Going to get a chance to talk NBA small forward rankings now. These are becoming fast and furious as we lead up to the top 10 players in the NBA. And what struck me here before we get into our criteria for what a small forward is, etc., is just simply how many of the top 10 players in the NBA might be on this particular list right now. That struck me. And also what struck me was I generally do after the, the, the ranked guys. So I do ranked guys and then I continue the tiers after that. And I just ran out of, so I, I uh, there's a way to describe it. So I generally do three boxes after the main groups and I sort those as many as there seem fit. So I do kind of like clear starters, possible starters, but are probably better as backups. And then guys that are definitely deserving a rotation spot, but shouldn't start. And I looked at it for the shooting guards and I had, I think 58 players. And in this one, I have 38 players. And that is a huge difference, especially when you consider some of these teams, like the Boston Celtics, have more than one guy. Yeah, and there is definitely a big drop-off between the best guys at this position and replacement level. I think small forward probably has the lowest replacement level. And that's even where we're kind of maybe shoehorning some guys in here who would be more likely, you know, their best position might be power forward. But the way we're doing this is, what would you play on most NBA teams? And power forwards and centers are easier to find than good combo forwards. So LeBron James, for example, he handles the ball all the time. Most teams, like on the Lakers this year, he's largely going to play small forward just because they're not going to have another small forward who's going to push him down the positional spectrum. Same thing here. If you look at the Celtics, Jalen Brown generally starts at the two. I mean, they really have three guys. You have Hayward, Brown, and Tatum. All those guys are probably natural small forwards. Most teams in the league, they would start at small forward. They would be better than the incumbent small forward. But because the Celtics have this embarrassment of riches at the position, you know, you can argue of who's the two and who's the four when all those guys play together. But they would naturally be small forwards. That's why they all are going to be ranked here. And that and dir- that worth dir- remembering, quality. of course, we talked about this last week for the shooting guards. But the criteria here is simply, if an NBA season starts today who would we want to have for that season and the playoffs for injuries you know Kevin Durant obviously is going to be one of those we basically just pretend that he's gotten healthy but that he's playing at the level of performance that we expect him to have after the injury coming off uh, the torn Achilles if there are other injury questions about guys where you just think hey you know this guy might never be healthy he really struggles to be healthy certainly that gets priced in if you think a guy is probably not going to be available uh, at that point in time but it's you know just leaving Kevin Durant out or ranking him 30th or something that's no fun so that's why, why we decided to do it this way but it is worth noting that availability to an extent is a skill so if there's somebody who is always going to like feels like they always miss 20 to 30 games i i feel comfortable pricing that in it. So, uh, any of our preamble here or shall we get started no i think we're i think we're pretty good um i did have a a real challenge at the top it wasn't so much ordering the players it was figuring out where the lines were done and, and for people who are less familiar the way nate and i both handle this through tiers is if players are within the same tier that means we're more splitting hairs and that means you, you can make a, cr- a very credible argument and it might be team specific there are a lot of different or maybe you, maybe you just value things a little bit differently to have one player over another i i don't particularly want to hear too much if 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 I have players ranked four and five and you think player five is better than player four, but they're in the same tier. Now, if they're in different tiers, what that means for me is that there's a meaningful difference in quality, not necessarily in role or anything like that. And so the the challenge that I ran into at the top was 
figuring out where to draw the lines, not who I thought was better than somebody else. All right, I'm going to start then with my number one small forward. I had a tier of three here that I called the superstars. And my number one is Kawhi Leonard. Yep, he's my number one as well. And I'll add the other two that I had here in consideration for the number one spot. That's uh, number two, LeBron James, and number three, Luka Doncic. Those are, that's my top tier of small forwards. And I, I think you could draw a pretty good line below there, which we'll talk about in a second. The line that I was alluding to before was actually whether to put a separation between LeBron and Luka, which I actually did. I put Luka in his own tier of a tier three. And the reason why is it, it might sound a little abstract, but I think what, what, when I worked through it, it made some sense to me. And that was all three of these guys are unquestionably good enough to take your team to the playoffs. And, and they're all good enough to be the best player on a damn good playoff team. But then it gets into, could you construct an argument that I would rather have Luka over Kawhi for the playoffs? And I had real trouble with that. It, it, we, maybe we'll see it. Luka, you know, he's early in his career. He's improving day by day. But LeBron and, and Kawhi are such established playoff players and maybe that's a little bit of clinging on for LeBron we'll see what he looks like this year but remember he was best player in the playoffs a couple years ago and has has been a dominant force and so Luka could be there but I'm so in many times I'm a little bit more risk averse than you and I think that's why I ended up putting Luka separate is that the other two guys throw him in a playoff series I don't feel any trepidation in Kawhi's case I'm actually more excited about that and then in Luka I just don't know yet yeah I think the more I think about it I kind of I don't know if I wish I would have done it your way, but I certainly very much understand that argument of, you know, Luca's a second year player. We haven't seen him in the playoff crucible. If you just look at his overall game, he's got more weaknesses than Kawhi and LeBron. I think he, he's more dependent on the three point shot, that step back, which is not, you know, I mean, he, he's been driving this amazing offense. He deserves a ton of credit for that. Uh, but, you know, how is that going to translate in the playoffs? Then you also have the questions of his defense. Is he going to get attacked defensively in the playoffs? I mean, he's not even necessarily on a good enough defense right now, which has been, you know, a below average NBA defense this year to where it may even come up. But I felt ultimately Luke, I think, has probably delivered the most value of any of those three guys so far. Uh, you know, I think he's been the best of those three players in the regular season. And it wouldn't shock me if he, I mean, they're probably going to lose in the first round due to maybe some other shortcomings, but it wouldn't shock me if he were better than either of those guys in the playoffs. I think maybe even the more I think about it, it should be Kawhi who's at the top in his own tier, uh, just due to, I think, the lack of weakness yeah. in his game. That was something else I thought about too. Yeah. And LeBron just, you know, I think he really has slipped as far as a, an isolation player and a driver, his efficiency, his ability to attack at the end of games, uh, you know, unless they're really running something for him, you know, he's he's not just able to co totally control things and just ISO the way he did even a couple of years ago against a lot of these teams. Um, granted, he's got a little bit less space to work with this year than he did two years ago in Cleveland. So it would not shock me if Luca. Yeah, maybe I should change well, it up. Do you want? Here. Do you want me to make the argument for your tears? <laughs> yeah, please. When Luka Doncic has been on the floor this season, using cleaning the glasses, garbage time filter, the Dallas Mavericks have a one nineteen point five offensive rating. 
I mean, that's just a batshit insane and, number right and, there, isn't it? And he is the engine of that. You know, they're not relying on a lot of other ball handlers. You know, he does. He sometimes plays with other guys, but this isn't a multi-headed monster like some of the stuff that the Warriors ran or the Miami Heat teams or anything like that. This is Luka's show. And when Luka's doing it, they're the best offense in the league. And that is insanely valuable. And all, the other argument in favor of having Luka in that tier is remember the framework that we're using, and that's a year from right now. And the passage of time helps Luca because that means that we're getting from this point on and he's getting better all the time. Whereas, you know, LeBron, even though he's a cyborg sent to destroy basketball, is still getting older and is getting a little bit slower. So I think that that Luca gets there. I'm still going to keep him separate. And maybe I, the Luca lebron pairing, I, I think, is actually an interesting idea that might be a solution there. Actually, you know what? That's what I'm going to do. Yeah, I'm going to go. I think I don't know if we're going to unify is Luca LeBron together because LeBron Kawhi that was another one that I thought about and there are teams where I would rather have LeBron the way the way that he can orchestrate an offense his passing is amazing but also remember that even though Kawhi isn't doing a game by game we saw on on Monday Kawhi was taking on the John Moran assignment last year in the playoffs he was the best guy on Giannis and I don't think that LeBron has that defensive fastball anymore and that is I mean, a, a, he has been a lot better sure uh, this he, year. I mean, been, he deserves a better. ton of credit for that absolutely but does he have the best player defensively on a really good team possibility that Kawhi does and so yeah I, I think I'm gonna do yeah I'm gonna have Kawhi by himself and then Luca and LeBron together that'll be the split that I do all right I just updated my list to do that too I think we're we are uh, we're in agreement there and that's that, part of the fun for this about us not talking at all about our lists before we do it is like sometimes that conversation helps helps me clarify like how things are and I, I in the lead-in I said I was having trouble drawing these lines we ended up with something I considered and that makes sense yeah and getting back to the the Luka thing I mean there's a possibility that Luka Doncic is the best offensive player in basketball right now and those that number that you gave there is a pretty good indication now he has fallen off a little bit efficiency wise he's also had this persistent ankle trouble where uh he's may not be as durable as LeBron and, and Kawhi yeah he's going to go through the load management certainly the fact that Kawhi isn't going to play as many regular season games has to be a part of this but when you consider that he's going to play enough games to get you into the playoffs and get you a decent seed uh and then I think he you know to me clearly has the best uh has been the best playoff player of these guys his defense is coming around so far this year um so uh, compared to last year where I think he had kind of slipped he really seems to be ramping it up and so yeah I think it's fair to put Kawhi a little bit above LeBron and Luka because I do have just a, a few question marks about those guys games in the playoffs right now they could answer them certainly but I have zero question marks about Kawhi Leonard's game at this point in time and that was something that Matt Moore and I talked about a little bit on Real Jam Radio about a week ago is he brought up some of the Kawhi you know playoff foibles or just that that he wasn't as big a part of let's say the Spurs success and and what I countered with that was that he is a fundamentally better player now and the one that sticks for me is that Memphis series before he got injured he was phenomenal phenomenal in that series and then he did well in in the Houston series they ended up yeah they did win the last game of that one without him in a, a super weird game that we'll, I'll just fixate on probably for the rest of my life but and then he was playing really well against the Warriors before he got injured the Zaza Pachulia play so I think that it would be a larger sample of great Kawhi playoff performances beyond last year's incredible run if he had been able to stay healthy. And I, I think we were we were on the path to seeing that. And so I give him credit there. 
Yeah, this is something that Ben Taylor has noted. He is one of the best playoff performers of all time. If you just look at what his stats are, if you look at how he boosts his game in the playoffs, really just uh, incredible stuff uh, from him. All right, let's take a quick break here, and then we'll get into the next part here of our rankings. All right, so to, to recap, Tier 1 for both of us was Kawhi Leonard. Tier 2, LeBron James and Luka Doncic. That takes us to through the top three. Now I think we're going to see some divergence. Tier 3 for me has four guys in it. I'm calling this the established all-stars, which might give a hint of who's going to be in it. My number four small forward is still uh, Kevin. Is it Kevin Wayne Durant? Is, is that what it is? You're, it you're is like Kev- the middle name guy. It is Kevin Wayne Durant. Uh, shout out to Ed Mazinette, who's the guy who got me on that. And to his mom, who, who named him that too. Let's, uh, yeah, of course. <laughs> but we'll, yeah. we'll give her some credit. Um, So he's my number four. I've got Paul George at five. Chris Middleton, maybe a controversial pick there at number six. And Jimmy Butler at number seven, rounding out this group. And so we started with with KD first. I'm I'm desperately curious to know where you put him. You wondered if we were going to have more divergence. We don't really here. The actually the only difference we have is my four five six is identical. I actually moved Jimmy Butler a tier down. Um, and, interesting. And for me, Durant, we're trying to approximate what he'll be after after the Achilles in- injury. I, I still think you know he'll he'll probably uh, eventually be a, a really good shooter and maybe a little less dynamic with the ball in his hands. I'm worried that his defense might drop off and Durant's defense has been a little bit overhyped over the years one of those players who has the defensive potential but doesn't actualize it that often that was very much the case with the Warriors I'm fully convinced that will be the case with the Brooklyn Nets as well but when he engages he's, he's super long he's Act, he can be active and can be a nice can be a nice disruptor weak side guy and and because of his unusual physical attributes he can be effective in a lot of different assignments I love the job that he's done on James Harden for example so I, I think that the activity level and and some of the other stuff could be a lot worse possession by possession and I also think that his defensive ceiling is going to be lower if there's any limited mobility whereas you know physical movement isn't that important to his offensive game so I don't I don't worry about that as much and that's what moves him from the same level as Luca you know Luca could win a regular season MVP as soon as next year and I my instinct is KD is not going to quite be there and part of it is you know we have Giannis who's this two-way superstar and I don't think Durant's going to have that kind of a case yeah now KD for me was my number one player in the NBA last March and then the way he started playing in the playoffs before that first setback uh, was certainly to me an indication uh, that that was correct I thought he was probably was playing at a level of the best player in the NBA he, he and Kawhi would have been a, a fascinating matchup in the finals if we had actually ever gotten there but now how is the Achilles going to affect him number one he's just going to be 32 you know that's that matters and it's always tough because usually these guys are going to are suffering these injuries when they already would have been in the decline phase of their career uh, and you look at some of the other players who have suffered this you know is he better suited to weather this than Kobe Bryant and remember Kobe then suffered that fracture in his leg then he had the shoulder injury and, and he was also about two three years older than KD when suffering the Achilles tear. I think he was 33 in that 12-13 season when that happened um there are very few players who have come back from the Achilles and been at the same level and when you also just say that it's he's two years when he's coming back and starting this he's gonna be two years removed from being the best player in the game just in terms of being two years older not to mention the injury 
he also hasn't really been like a workout warrior in terms of just taking care of his body his strength you'd think okay maybe because of his height he could make up for some of the reduced quickness and explosion that he's going to have by getting stronger with his body type the way he works on his body that's probably not going to happen it's been said that the right achilles it's better because you know you jump off your left as a right-handed player going to the basket but you're also trying to push off he loves going to his left like that is his default is take a couple dribbles to his left pull up and so you imagine his quickness going to his left pushing off that right foot is probably going to be reduced um so i and i share your concerns about the defense he, he may even end up having to just be a full-time power forward at this point at least defensively offensively you know i think he, he is probably is still more of a, a small forward with his shooting ability i mean you hope that his shooting ability is not going to be affected you know he's not one of these guys who just like jumps as high as he can and a shot he shoots like a real easy ball so i think he'll probably still be close to the same level of shooter but his drive game which already i think had waned before this was uh going to be concerning you know how is he going to be out of pick and roll uh the post-up iso game might be about the same so all those concerns you know i certainly could have an argument that he could be lower here much like we talked about with victor oladipo in the shooting guard section clay thompson in the shooting guard section you know he's got a lot of volatility here for when we do this list next time but i still think when you look at what he's going to be able to do as a score and a primary offensive option i think he's going to be the best of those four other guys i named george middleton and butler uh but, you know, he might be the worst defensively now out of those guys. Yeah, I think that's fair. And you brought up where Durant was last year in the rankings. I believe in the last MVP rankings last year before our final one, I had Paul George second or third in MVP voting. So dropping him from that level to fifth at the small forward spot. Granted, we have yeah. a lot of MVP candidates here. Yeah, that and, might- and we also, we didn't, I don't think even you who are a big George, was a big George stand was saying like, oh, this is how good of a player right, he is right, in the right. playoffs. It was more based on what the on value what he, had he had done in the regular, regular season. season. Exactly, yeah. and I'm happy you brought that up. But but that's why, you know, like for me, having George over some of these other guys, in case that is an argument that needs to be made, he is a defensive force at times. Again, it can be sometimes a lagging indicator. I don't think he's quite at the level as earlier in his career when he was a lot more destructive, especially on smaller guys. Like, good defenders, sometimes they age up a position, and I think we're seeing that with George. At times, he was been a two, before now we have him in the in the small forward column and I've, i'm comfortable with that but part of why george is above let's say jimmy butler is that i think there's a lot more versatility to his offensive game he's a more, i trust his jump shot significantly more and you know he doesn't have to have the ball in his hands as much to be successful so i think that helps george and also when some of his struggles a lot of his struggles towards the end of last year appear to have been injury based and so yeah i mean he is dealing with these shoulder things and and he hasn't been quite the player that that he was last season when I was you know hyping him up as a potential MVP candidate he has a lot of those tools still there so for me I you know like there is a distinct chance that he will be better than Kevin Durant next year just because if Kevin Durant isn't Kevin Durant but I also think like I, I felt comfortable putting George over Middleton and Butler because I think that his ceiling is higher than those guys and his floor might be lower than might be lower than Middleton but I think his expected value is higher yeah and I think if there weren't injury concerns with Durant and George those two guys clearly have much higher levels of performance than Middleton and Butler uh for and Butler I'm very interested to talk about why you have him a little bit lower here uh but 
when you look at the availability for these guys and just the fact that Durant and George might just be at different levels right now you know I have more hope for George getting back to where he was than Durant and you know it's just kind of been a a real struggle for him this season with a bunch of nagging injuries the shoulder issue you know shouldn't necessarily be something that kills him uh you know the way an Achilles would um Chris Middleton might be a controversial inclusion here so people have really missed because he actually he you know this he was one of these guys who you know just didn't start out that well the first two three weeks of the season i mean number one he's the second best player on an all-time great regular season team he generally has played better in the playoffs he's solid defensively not not amazing you know he, he's a little overmatched as a stopper but certainly defends his position totally adequately and he is 11th in the nba in rpm 11th in the NBA in offensive RPM. He is fifth among small forwards in PR, 22.4 PR, 63% true shooting. That is the highest of anyone in this group. His usage is up to 26%, which is uh, it's higher than Jimmy Butler. And he's just a crazy good fit as a shooter. You know, he can play next to anyone in a way that maybe Jimmy Butler uh, can't. Uh, I mean, a lot of these guys, I mean, it's amazing the amount of shooting that's uh, on this list. I mean, everyone other than Butler is a quality three-point shooter uh, and, and maybe James in this top 10 group here. Uh, but, and he's just been awesome. And it's time to acknowledge that, especially just with the premium that is placed uh, on shooting here. I mean, he is probably the deadliest shooter now at this point uh, of anyone on this list. Uh, and that's huge. And, and you just, you have to acknowledge what he's done. And, you know, he doesn't quite have the ceiling of maybe some of these other players. But I think I ultimately, if I'm trying to win a championship, I would have him above Butler because I think Butler is just a little bit too ball dominant. He doesn't shoot threes at all. He's slipped some defensively as an individual defender. He's still better probably as a team defender uh, than Middleton is, but he kind of, he needs the ball. And so if you were say a team trying to make the playoffs, you know, you're trying to win 50 games like the Heat are, you know, Butler is probably more valuable to say the Miami Heat than Chris Middleton would be. But if you're a team like the Bucks, where you already have another star, Middleton is eminently scalable. He fits in much better on a lot of teams that already have a, a ball dominant star as a second banana than Butler would. And and sometimes having a really good second banana is more important than having, you know, a very good but not elite first banana. And that's kind of what Butler is if you're trying to win a championship. The argument for Chris Middleton is actually very similar to an argument you and I have made for years about Clay Thompson. And it's that they can fit in a lot of different situations with a lot of different teammates and make that team better without taking things off the table. And not only are a good second banana bananas hard to find they're harder to find than than not the mvp caliber first bananas but almost everybody else and so if you have middleton also he has some positional versatility defensively not a ton but but enough and that you can you can he could mesh him you can make him mesh with an elite talent at any other position who who runs the show and that's what part of why i have him over jimmy butler and then another thing i've been thinking about i did a podcast with ben taylor that came out over the weekend and he led it with this idea of you know a player a and player b and player b was this higher volume but still effective player and you know not as efficient as player a and that was actually they were both chris middleton one was middleton when he plays with Giannis, and one was middleton when he didn't and i think that it, it, that's the other kind of parallel with clay is that middleton this year and it's a smaller sample size all those sorts of things he has shown a greater capability of taking on a larger role in the offense and i don't think you'd want to have him do it every game for a really good 
team. But the fact that he can do a couple of different things is really valuable. And you already sort of made the argument, or at least a big part of the argument for me about why I drew the line here above Jimmy Butler rather than including him in this tier. He's less versatile. And I think the defense for Butler, he could be, of course be a cog in the machine. He's not as dominant as he used to be on that end. Butler also not much older than Paul George, but two years older than Middleton, two years older than Kawhi. And I do think that's material for him. Not because of the, oh, he's played so many minutes under Thibodeau, Thibodeau. And I just got no, it, is, it exactly it wrong. Yeah. You, you, you corrected yourself out of the uh, out, of, out of the correct thing. Anyway, yeah. but so it's not so much things like that. It's just that Jimmy Butler, when he loses a little bit of a little bit of burst, becomes a less dynamic offensive and defensive player. And I think that matters. And so the the him alone test, which is if you throw this guy into a team, are they definitely going to be good at X, Y, and Z? I don't feel as confident about that with Jimmy Butler. I don't think if he is your best offensive player, your team is going to have a great offense. And I don't think if he is your best defensive player, your team is necessarily going to have great defense. And he's damn good. He's a really good player, a, a pivotal part of this Miami team that has been so successful and deserves credit for that. But the lack of plug and play ability is a problem. And the jump shot, I mean, so last year, high watermark for him, at least at the beginning of the year, he was shooting 38% when he was in Minnesota. And that was more in line with kind of like what he did in the Bulls for his better years. Do you know what Jimmy Butler shooting from three this year? Well, you know what? I don't even care because he's taking like one attempt a game. It's worse than that. He's he's shooting 25% from three. Yeah, no, it's, it, it's bad. I mean, and he maybe, I, I, I've said this before that I think he just, he was typecast as that three and D type of guy. And everyone's like, okay, is Jimmy Butler going to make threes or not? You know, 2013, 14 Bulls. This is a, essential to know the answer to this. And I think he moved beyond that with his skill level in really, really impressive fashion. But I think he is kind of, chafed at the idea of being a spot-up shooter because he was put into that box early on and and it's true that butler is taking a lot more of his threes off the dribble now and those are harder shots you know he so for example his last year in chicago that was at 64 percent. that was that was the one of the marking of the change of his role then now he's and he's been as high as like 90 percent those early years on the bulls now he's at 50 54 of his threes are assisted so that's a lot lower and that doesn't necessarily help him most guys shoot much better catch and shoot than off the dribble but also shooting 25 percent on on threes shooting 29 percent on shots six on 16 feet and in, into the three-point lines that's a big concern 37 percent on mid-rangers and i think he's better than all of those numbers i think that you know his career average on threes is 33 percent that's not terrible that's not a terrible proxy for where i think he is maybe he can be he's a little better than that. i think he's shown some growth from his young from his younger days but that is a fundamentally different type of player and the the fact that you also he's so much better on ball than off ball it means that you you need to that you can't use him in as many circumstances so that's why he's in a different group and i think i'm going to cause a controversy another controversy by who i paired him with there's only one other guy in his group and i think this is an interesting conversation i have jimmy butler and jason tatum in the same tier yeah tatum was the guy i probably struggled with the most because clearly what he's been doing the last month or so would indicate that he should be right up there in the middleton and maybe even georgia and durant level but I, I can't buy it quite yet. I mean, he's basing a lot of this. You know, he is getting to the basket more. He's getting to the foul line more. That's impressive. Uh, his defense as an off-ball guy is, has been well chronicled. It's very good. I can't buy yet that, you know, he's this 40% three-point shooter on the difficulty of attempts that he's taking. If he is, oh boy, I mean, that's going to be just absolutely ridiculous. I mean, some of these step backs that he's taking to his left, I mean, when you consider his size and high release, I mean, there's just no way to deal with that in a lot 
lot of ways we've also just generally have seen that playing in brad stevens system offensively gives you a boost that you might not get i mean it's something we talked about a couple days ago when we did uh nba tv front court of how that celtic center rolling to the room if you watch a bunch of his buckets at the rim how many of those are pick and roll plays where the celtic center is just rolling to the rim and clearing out that defensive player uh, with a moving screen which apparently right now is legal i think the league should actually take a look at that uh but so brad certainly has a, a history of getting more out of guys i wonder how portable it might be for that applies to Jalen brown as well but i mean his two-way ability he also can play off the ball and shoot his passing is very low i think it, he's one of the lowest assist rates of guys who have a 25 usage uh, or higher that's something that he's going to really need to work on a lot but uh, yeah I, I had him at the top of this group uh tier four of young all-stars and i had him below Jalen brown and brandon ingram when we did the top prospects ranking and for him to actually now be above them for me although in the same tier as we're starting to leak into that now um is impressive considering that he is younger than those guys are and so he has definitely taken step fours i am giving credit to that but you know this is a month and a half of this type of play he's young you think that that's going to continue but you also have to be a little aware of just saying oh young guy did this for a month well this is his new level of performance you still have to be a little more skeptical and you know we'll get some big answers uh, when we see him in the playoffs this year as well yeah so I'll, I'll lay it out for me just briefly for people so my third tier is the i call it the not mvp but all nba that's durant george and middleton then my tier three is just or sorry tier four is just butler and tatum seven and eight respectively and then my next one which i think will partially line up with your current one that includes tatum is what i called above average starters so these are guys that are in the top 15 at their position and that group runs from nine to 13 okay so for me four through seven was Durant, George Middleton, and Butler. That was my tier three. Tier four was my young all-stars tier, and that was Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown. I know he wasn't technically an all-star this year, and Brandon Ingram. So that was eight through 10 for me. And then I actually stopped doing the rankings. uh, And then I got into kind of, I think, uh, that same sort of group that you had, premium stars. I just had Brown and Ingram a a little bit ahead of there because of of some of these other guys because of their on-ball skills. All those guys have some two-way ability, although I think Ingram is pretty overrated defensively. But uh, all those guys can also play off the ball as well with their shooting ability, their athletic they're all pretty good bet to continue growing due to their youth which maybe some of these other guys aren't and you know i I think those are guys who can play at an all-star level so i separated them out with uh, this next group that i called a premium starters who most of these guys were kind of in more of the three and d category i had a couple of guys who are more on ball guys not as good defensively so you said you had a group in what was it nine through 13 that you haven't mentioned yet so you want to get get to those guys now since i'm yeah, i'm it, at number 10 um actually here let's take a quick break first and then then we'll sure. uh then we'll reveal that well it's actually going to be from 9 to 12 i removed a guy and then counted incorrectly um i did forgot to note it so i have four players in this next tier that i have labeled as above average starters not all the same type of player but i think that their overall value is the same is similar enough that they're in the same tier that for some danny green robert covington bojan bogdanovich and Jalen Brown. Yeah, you know, though I had all those guys in this next group as well. Uh 
and I was I viewed these guys as premium starters rather than solid starters, I guess. And, and I'm not ranking anymore after I get below ten here. But Covington was in there for me. Jalen Braun, I had a, one group above here. He was my number nine guy as a, a young All Star level player. Gordon Hayward and Demar Derozan are the ones that I oh, oh and T.J. Warren and OG Ananobi. Those are the okay. ones that I would add to this group. And Hayward and Derozan are probably the most difficult here because we've talked about the fit issues that DeRozan provides I think he can be a really nice floor raiser on offense for you uh and he's having the most efficient season of his career but he struggles so much defensively he can't really guard the one of the two so you kind of just put him at the three by default and you know that's kind of where Hayward is that's kind of where Bogdanovich is too I think Bogdanovich at least has you know, a little more strength to deal with it you know you can put him on fours a little bit more whereas Hayward and DeRozan you can't necessarily really do that and so yeah it, Give me your thoughts on Hayward and DeRozan. I, I think that's interesting because you, you have them, it seems like, a little bit lower here. Hayward is actually the guy that I moved out of this tier when I said I went from 13 to 12. And the reason why is, I, as you said, kind of the lack of vers- versatility defensively that I don't like that as much. And he can help a lot of teams. But I think when you look at what Green, Covington, Bogdanovich, and Brown do, they're, they can you can use them on a, on a wider variety of teams. And Hayward is, you know, he, he can do things with the ball in his hands. He can be a shooter, but he's an okay defender, can't really do so like i have him the next year and then this is actually going to be the most interesting i actually have DeRozan a tier down from that and the reason why is something that you got into which is that for a large portion of teams he doesn't help you as much because DeRozan needs to be on the ball his he's still not shooting threes and his defense is so limited and so there's a group of teams where he's an unquestioned start but i think that number is less than 20 and for me at that point then you you know sorry less than it might be less than 15 so at that point, then you start to get into, well, if you know, then if he's not a starter on a majority of teams and like outright should not be one, then then that becomes an issue. So if you have any guy above him, then you probably don't want DeRozan on the floor or if you have certain other things in your starting lineup, but he still provides value. Like, I mean, the, that group from 21 to 29 for me is a lot of players that I really like, but I have DeRozan there because of the, the places where he just straight up doesn't fit. Yeah, he DeRozanizes your team. We saw that in the playoffs last year. We're seeing it now this year where you kind of really have to build your team around him because he doesn't shoot threes and he doesn't defend. So he's got to be your main perimeter ball handler. And then you got to have all these defenders on one end who can also shoot the ball really well. And so how many of those guys really are out there? The Spurs don't have many, if any of those players at this point in time who are very good shooters and also really good defenders. The entire league is looking for those type of players. And you basically need two of those guys who are real like premium three and D guys to play next to him to minimize his weaknesses and accentuate his strengths and so in the right situation you know he can raise the floor for you offensively but you're always gonna have a ceiling on your defense with him and it's just hard to build a team and and like you said i mean six man bring him in you know kind of the same role that like alec burks is playing now in philly you know that's probably yeah like lou williams where he plays a lot and if he's doing thing if he's doing well then you keep him on the floor with the closing five and if he isn't then you go to somebody else like that would for me would be the ideal role for DeRozan at this stage of his career and Hayward to me I I think I would have him above DeRozan because I think he's better defensively 
And uh, yeah, I mean, I, you had DeMar even lower the, than I did. But yeah, Hayward is better defensively. He can shoot it. He's at 38% from the three this year. His passing ability is, and Terosa does provide some passing too, but uh, Hayward, I think, is you know a little bit more of a guy who moves the ball. He, he can play a little bit of a role. He's willing to accept a smaller role we've seen the last couple of years. And, you know, he's really kind of waxed and waned. He's had more physical issues that may or may not have stemmed from that ankle fracture that he had back in 2017. And so I wonder what his durability is over, you know, this next time period that we're looking at. And, but I mean, I do think he is a very solid offensive player. You know, he's, he's, is he kind of the small forward version of like an Evan Fournier type of guy? Um, and I also want to see what his defense looks like in the playoffs this year. So I mean, he, in Utah, he was solid enough, but he had Rudy Gobert behind him. I think he's gotten attacked more in Boston. So it, there's a lot of question marks about him. I think it, I struggled to evaluate him at, at this point in time. Um, yeah, I, I struggled with him as well. Um, and something that amused me is that both of us have Gordon Hayward. You know, it's still high. I have him, I don't rank anymore, but he's in the group from 13 to 20. And he is the number three Celtic on just this list. Right. Which is, which is pretty amazing. And also the defensive chops of the other two help make Gordon that tenable. You know, also, you know, the more small forwards you have, the better. That was something Danny Ainge got completely right in going back to when they prioritized Tatum over Fultz beyond everything else. And my my next group includes one well, guy. Well, well, hold on. Can, can I ask you about OG? Yes. So OG was an, I just, I'm not all the way there on his offense. I, I really do enjoy it. I mean, we, we've talked recently a lot about his isolation defense. That was a part of Tuesday night's pod. And I, I think that he's, I, I just need to see a little bit more with the ball in his hands or trust this jump shot there. But he's in my clear starters group, which is if you have, if you have this player on your team, they're going to be a starter. That sort of, that, that sort of place, unless you happen to have like somebody who's above them on the list and can't slide somebody over. And I, I just, for me, Jalen, like, for example, like Jalen Brown, I like OG's defense better than Jalen's, but I like Jalen's offense significantly more. So for right now, I'm going to have OG down. That might be, you know, the, it might be that I'm not projecting enough, you know, that I'm not seeing the season starting now as opposed to, you know, what we've already done. And I love OG, I, and you and I both do, but I'm just not all the way there yet. And the one that I'm surprised because just because it hasn't come up in the context is, actually, let's talk about OG, and then there's somebody else that you've named that I have not yet who's in this tier yeah and so Ananobi's shooting 36 percent from three he's been a little bit more aggressive with it this season not a ton of attempts uh but you know 187 three-point attempts on the season 68 makes I really, really want to see what it's going to look like in the playoffs. Is he just going to not get guarded? Is he going to be able to make teams pay for that or not? Some against a Boston, against a Milwaukee, he's going to need to be on the floor for them defensively for 30 minutes a game. And to really be able to guard those best guys, that is a premium skill. I share your concerns about the offense. That's where the big question mark is. And, you know, I'm sure there are many people like, you know, DeMar DeRozan is a multi-time all-star. How is OG and Anobi in the same tier? I mean, we tried to explain it here where it's just, you know, if you really look at it, OG's skill defensively might be rarer than DeMar DeRozan's skill offensively. And the hope, at least, is that OG takes less off the table on offense than DeMar takes off both on offense with his lack of shooting and on defense with his lack of anything. Well, and beyond that, it's the replaceability. If yeah. your small forward can't guard small forwards, it's very hard to find somebody else that can. And if you need somebody to run the offense, there are a lot of ones and twos and now even some fours and fives that can initiate and that can that can run the show. And there are a lot of really good ones. 
So the rise of some young point guards, you know, the John Morants and Trey Youngs of the world, that dissipates the pressure to need a DeMar DeRozan. You need somebody. Every team needs somebody. But him specifically, that drops down yeah. the list. And we, we it, talk- If you have a good point guard, you don't need... DeMar DeRozan in fact you don't want him because he's gonna muck everything up for your good point guard like Kyle Lowry really papered over a lot of his flaws with his ability to both defend larger players and shoot the ball and not be bothered by DeRozan's lack of spacing the other guy that I was I was alluding to before that's in this tier and I think you have it like seven or eight is Brandon Ingram this is again risk aversion for me it's actually two things one thing is just if the jump shot isn't all the way there then his value drops drops a lot and DeRozan sorry not to Rosen Ingram Freudian slip yeah uh, they are they are like slightly similar they're probably more similar to one another before this year now that Ingram can shoot it that's there's a it's a different story and part part of the way that they're similar is both players have the athleticism and are the physical tools that you could expect they'd be better defenders than they are and Ingram doesn't apply himself nearly as much off ball as we would like and and he he's better with the ball in his hands and Ingram with the jump shot that changes this calculus a lot and it's a huge positive because better with the ball in your hands is different than terrible without the ball you know there's that there's that group of player and i think he's become significantly more valuable but i'm always in believe it believe it when i see it for an extended period of time mode with him and so there, i mean there are absolutely teams that would prefer let's say i have ingram in this tier 13 to 20 no order there out there are plenty of teams that would prefer him to Bojan Bogdanovic, for example. But I don't think, again, I think more teams would prob- would prefer Bojan if we're just looking at this year now, if we're projecting into the future and all sorts of other things. But that's not the point of this. Yeah, I may be overrating him a little bit. I mean, the, the efficient scoring that he's provided is pretty darn good though i mean he is bad defensively i mean i think it's i'm coming more and more to that opinion and well and it's so hard because he 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 passes the eye test pretty yeah. clearly and then he fails the watching basketball yeah test. I, I mean he's kind of the the i mean i guess andrew wiggins is also a small for it but he's very wiggins like defensively he is um so i'm gonna run through the rest of this tier for me it's a it's a motley crew of guys that mostly i think i like more than most people but that's fine and i have them as clear starters basically that idea i articulated before of if they're on your team they're starting in unless you have somebody above them and can't slide and there actually is an example of that here so i've mentioned hayward and anobi and ingram those are the guys as we've already discussed. You mentioned TJ Warren. He's here for me as well. I also have Joe Harris. His shooting is a valuable tool. I think he's good enough defensively that he's above the next tier. Well, so let me talk about him real, him and Bogdanovich real quick. And I do think that when you're talking about someone at this position who can't, at least in a pinch, you know, if you're like a superstar or something, you're a Kevin Durant. Okay. You know, you're not going to be able to, you're not going to be asked to guard the opponent's best wing threat the whole game. But if you can't do that, like in a pinch, you know, whether Bogdanovich is like that, Hayward is like that, DeRozan is like that. Um, and then Joe Harris certainly uh, as well. I have qualms about it because you it's just who then is going to do it, right? If you are a three and you're not doing that. And I remember a couple of years ago when we did the uh, worst team all defense, it was really hard to find a candidate at the three because so many of these guys, like that's their job. You have to be able to guard. Now, maybe you could have a, you know, a Thaddeus Young type or something who could guard some of these guys. Um, but it does really affect your team building at the highest levels if your three can't guard a really good three on the other team. Now, let's keep in mind here how many of these guys need that sort of a defender, right? I mean, you know, there's probably 10 teams in the league, these it's top 10 guys. Problem. 
Right, right. But, I mean, again, we're talking, like, I think you and I both, our philosophy is we value winning at the highest level. And so you do kind of put a little bit of a ceiling on your team, unless, you know, you could be like Danny Ainge and you get two other awesome small forwards on your team besides uh, Gordon Hayward. Uh, I I think the reason for me that these guys end up being in this tier is that the players in the next tier below don't really fit that defensive calibration anyway. So maybe you could say there's a subdivision within this tier. And there could be an argument there that, you know, somebody like OG, is more valuable because they do the mandatory thing and then they're okay on the optional stuff. But right. then, so so here are the other ones. I think this is, is an interesting group. I'm putting Otto Porter here. I think when he's healthy, this is where Otto Porter should live. And again, Yeah, but, but when is he ever going to be healthy though? That's a fair question. But I, I, you know, with him, it's kind of different than Durant with the Achilles where I, I think that there is a conception if he takes off the rest of the rest of the season that- but, Well, here's why I disagree with you on that. Here's why I disagree with that. Because he was like on a minutes limit coming into this season. Like that's that's I mean he had a it's whole a off season to rest to be sure and I mean this foot injury maybe you can argue I, that that's yeah, I a guess, one off I guess but, for me it was more I wanted to fi- I just wanted to say that's where he was when he when he's healthy it's fair to say yeah. that he will never be healthy or something like that but w- kind of to engage in the exercise the way I, I just thought that was better than being like well okay if you're gonna say these hurt all the time then where the hell are you gonna put him you know like it, I I find that less less interesting so Porter's there but I think we agree that him as a player you know that he can a guy who can hit threes at a at a surprising volume at times and defend reasonably well that's that's a good player to have it's somebody that i think the wizards have sorely missed this year though the bulls have sorely missed him too of course (laughs) then the the other two players for me are teammates the newly minted jazz man starter royce o'neill and the newly unminted jazz man starter joe ingles ingles fits in this bogdanovich harris thing i think he's a feistier defender a more active one but he can't defend the best the best he's he's not that type of player but i like some of the stuff that he does on the team concept and then i I've been banging the Royce O'Neal drum, it feels like, for two years now. And he he can he can shoot better, I think, than some people expect. And he's a capable defender. And I you know, he might not be at the same level of some of those things, but when you when you start to basically when how Royce ended up here for me, you know, along with guys like TJ Warren and stuff, is that when I get to the last couple of guys that are hardest to place, I, I draw out the rest of the tiers, the guys that I know were in one or the other, and then I just kind of think, okay, well, do they make more sense here or there? And like when I was comparing him to the next group, which has like, you know, Dylan Brooks and Mikhail Bridges just guys that I like but I I just think O'Neal is a much better player than them right now TJ Warren I want to talk about a little bit more yes he is the latest Dan Burke Nate McMillan Pacers reclamation project uh Bogdanovich was the one before him and he's been guarding the best guys every night for the Pacers. I know Jay Michael's been really high on his defense. He's definitely someone that I trust there. Um, you know, his three-point shooting, about 36%, but he's very aggressive with it. I think after his improvement last year, you know, it wasn't going to be 40%, but I think I feel comfortable now with the idea that he is at least, you know, an average three-point shooter for the position. He's not going to be a non-spacing liability. And then he's a solid transition player. He still has that good floating and finishing game. So he's becoming a player who doesn't have a ton of weaknesses. And I do want to really lock in on his defense. I want to see what it looks like in a playoff setting. We obviously haven't seen that yet. So maybe this is bumping him up a little bit too much. I mean, to have him in the same group with Covington and Ananobi and Danny Green 
uh, might be a little bit too high. It sounds like I'm a little higher on him than you. I'm, I'm trying to be a little more forward uh, looking here. Uh, but I mean, that was t- the fact that the Pacers got the number 32 pick in the draft and just got him for free a pretty good piece of work there by their front office and uh, you know i think he's been an important part of what they've done this year when he's missed games i think they've really really suffered this year that's always an indication as well so you know we'll see maybe i'll be changing my tune on him if he isn't able to guard some of the best guys in their first round playoff series but i i've been very impressed with what i've seen from him this year yeah, and I think the, the success from three-point three point land this year, 37%, is also an indication that last year wasn't a fluke, so now you see the overall picture is more positive. And, and Warren, this is his age 26 season, so I, I think that we could also see a little bit more growth from him. We're probably getting close to his prime, and I'll, I'll lay out, so I, I mentioned this when we did the shooting guards. Uh, the way that I generally approach this is I have the top t- kind of guys, the guys that get ranked, and then I throw everybody else in three buckets— or in a non those three buckets. And that's clear starters, possible starters, but you probably rather have them as backups, and then definite rotation players who shouldn't start. So the, the that third group is not the ones that we're talking about right now, but that's players who deserve to me 10 to 15 minutes on most teams, but you also do not want them to start, probably specific limitations or something like that. So we're in this in the middle ground, the nether regions here. And what's so interesting about the small forwards is that this group from and, and it depends on which position we're talking about the group of the possible starters but preferably backups are 21 to 29 which means because of the scarcity of the position all of them basically start yeah i think uh, i was more impressed i think by this overall group than you um you know i mean i think guys like dylan brooks and you know i have joe harris down in this group uh iguodala who you know i mean he's kind of in a different category because you'd like him to play more minutes but he probably just can't physically well he, he also i think will be struggle n- not in the same ecosystem as the warriors i mean his offensive game is less tenable anywhere else uh, Dorian Finney-Smith is quietly having a very nice season mm-hmm. in Dallas. I mean, I think he can get physically overwhelmed by the Kawhi Leonard types, but you know that's true of a lot of guys here. Um, I also had Joe Ingles and Royce O'Neal down in this group as well. I mean, this is kind of the, I mean, I think I'm still a little bit above where you were kind of in the like 15 to 24 range. Um, and a couple other names that, that I had around here as well, Harrison Barnes and Kelly Oubre uh, as well. Oubre is an interesting one because he gives maybe a little bit more individual offense and finishing than you might have normally uh, at this position outside of the stars. But defensively, as a help guy, spacing the floor, he's improving, you know, 35% this year. That's, a, I believe, a career high. And and he gets up a fair amount of them. So, you know, he can have some explosive scoring games at times, but probably can't guard the best guy in the other team at a, a playoff type of level. So he's another one where you kind of struggle to fit him in a little bit. Um, so, uh, but I do think all those guys are, are players who, you know, are not going to kill you as a starter. I think it, the overall state of this position is better than it was a year ago. Absolutely. Yeah. And, that's, and the, the growth yeah. of Brooks and Ubre and also Torian Prince. I mean, he's been better defensively this year, which I, which is important. And, and his jump shot is, has not been the yeah. weak point in his game. But, I, you know, I have. I, I, I had Prince a little. I, I would not be comfortable with him as my starting small forward, I don't think. Which, I mean, is, why, I think which is why I think yeah. that's we drew the lines a little 
little differently, and that's why yeah. he's in. The, I, I don't feel that way necessarily with any of these guys. Another one that I want to talk about in this group is Kelly Oubre's teammate, Mikhail Bridges. I I really like Bridges' defense, and then offensively, he he does enough. I I like him as a as a cog in the machine. And once you get below a certain like a certain level of you know you know he's not super. I don't love him with the ball in his hands, but I also don't care. You know, like he, he you're not going to be asking him to do that. Devin Booker, Ricky yeah. Rubio. I, I got concerns about Bridges' offense. So do I. I mean, twelve percent usage. The jumper is like a little bit hitchy. He has not been able to extend his range out to NBA three. I think the way uh, that his college shooting, you know, people would have hoped from that. Um, and I also think he's a little too thin and he's older too. So, you know, I'm not sure he's going to develop this, but he might be a little too thin to really guard some of the best guys. You know, he's kind of more of a shark off ball guy. I mean, he's got great hands. And he gets a lot of deflections. Uh, you know, he's more that type of defender than your individual stopper guy. That's true. Uh, Somebody else in this tier for me is Justice Winslow. We have to see what's going on with his back. He still hasn't played a game for the Memphis Grizzlies, who sacrificed a lot, especially in the way of 2020-21 salary to get him. But the theory of Winslow is a very intriguing player in the modern NBA. He can handle the ball, can defend forwards, and can hit open shots. The He is a one of the centerpieces of the argument that, that you and I were making a few years ago, incidentally including, including I believe, maybe Brandon Ingram for one year, of the difference between making a lot of threes at a low volume and making any number of threes at a higher yeah. volume and that's what keeps him in this tier as opposed to being higher i think memphis has belief that he's that he would at health at full health would warrant being in a higher tier than either the 21 to 29 group that i have but he needs to prove it and and he hasn't and, and the health thing is is a concern i again like Otto porter i didn't factor that in totally but the idea that winslow is he another player he's better with the ball in his hands but is that is he good enough at that to do it full time on a good team probably not so that's why he gets he gets downgraded a little bit yeah i think he's got some similarities with andre guadala except he doesn't have that level of athleticism i think his skills are somewhat similar and, but and his instinct just, and yeah. to me his instincts aren't as good you know like yeah he, i mean Iguodala is you know his intelligence level is you know one of the greatest ever for a wing uh defender and but and winzo doesn't have the type of length the i mean he's he's still not as good of an athlete as like 36 year old andre Iguodala. um and ironically of course uh, he got traded for him um i, I mean i'm kind of getting down into like the 30 ranks uh, here well so that's uh, something i wanted yeah. to ask you I, sure. I had this tier so i broke down my, my boxes and that third tier is guys who should be in rotation but the i don't third think third tier no my third tier of the non-ranked guys so it's this no no ah, okay but it's like you know I, I i do the same three boxes whatever position we're doing after the rank guys and then i throw them in but what was interesting for this one is at the two my group went all the way of filling that description of guys that i thought deserved 10 to 15 minutes on a reasonably good team you know you can't draw the line at who would play for the Cavs or something like that because their their lines are different and what struck me was it was that group went to about 58 at the shooting guard position it only went to 38 here and some of that is me yeah. being harsh on guys like Tory Craig who can play but his shooting is a huge problem and I don't think he's good enough defensively to be like oh you can uh, you can just throw him in and, and give him minutes and I so I was stingy with that you know I my Travion Graham doesn't make it into this tier for me but I think that 
that's a great but, illustration yeah. of of what this position is now is that it is important that it's important to have two competent players in this position because once you get below a certain threshold it's just so hard to find somebody yeah i, I think that's right and i it's there's more depth at the position than previously i mean i think guys like glenn robinson the third is one of the highest risers this year and we'll see how he ends up doing in philly you know it could have just been fool's gold on a bad team but i thought his individual defense really improved this year with golden state and, and his jump shooting admittedly on a little bit lower volume but you know it looked good when he would take them and and golden state is not like a high three-point shooting team um you know justin holiday i think as he's gotten stronger he is amazing at getting around screens you know he's going to be physically overwhelmed by you know he's really more of a two guard size a, a lot but you know, his limited ball handling kind of makes him a three but again, unless the guy is going to overwhelm him strength wise you know i mean he can guard one through three pretty well uh you know make jump shots so so he deserves a ton of credit for how he's, he's pushed it up and then trevor Ariza, i still you know pretty limited you you noted that he's not taking that many threes uh in portland uh when we talked about him a, a little bit ago but but he can still defend his position one-on-one pretty well and will at least take open shots. So, And he's a vet who knows how to play off ball. He can rebound can't finish to save his life anymore i mean he used to it's amazing to think uh, that he used to be one of the most athletic players in the league and now he can't even get off the ground but you know that's what happens when you're in your in your 30s but he's he's still you know a good enough placeholder at that position on a good team even though you know for a team like sacramento or the wizards or phoenix last year he didn't provide that much value but on like an actual good team you know i think he can still give you something there yeah i'm I'm on board with that with trevor reza and this is actually the tier this this bottom one we're at that I actually did is where I have Andrew Wiggins for right now. Wiggins could end up if he can show that his, this effort is real and and some of the other positives offensively that he's shown, then he could he could easily move up. But there is a wealth of of information that we have, and and using just the small sample of the few games he's played as a Warrior is to me a, a fool's errand, and that could change as quickly as April. It might take into next year, but I'm going to rely on the large sample as opposed to the small sample because I mean he played on good teams, he played on bad teams and he was improving but not improving that much i mean i think he's at least gotten to the point where he's no longer actively hurting the team would you agree with that i would most of the time as and especially as he's been trying more on defense in in san francisco i i think that that's there as well so yeah i, I kind of split the difference with him i had him in the 20s and frankly you know if he could be the 20th best small forward in the nba the warriors will be ecstatic uh i think and now a lot of his value is based on shot creation that you know on a lot of teams doesn't have that much value and you know i i think he can individually defend his position passably it's the other stuff where it kind of breaks down a little bit and uh you know the boards help defense we've talked about him ad nauseum obviously and you know as a three-point shooter spotting up he's not fantastic you know he's probably gonna be you know hitting 35 percent on catch and shoot threes would probably be my guess which is uh well below average so uh, Before we get into yeah. risers and fallers, a, a category I want to talk briefly about are players that you expect, not that you think can, but play, are there any players that you don't have in these kinds of groups that you expect to go there next year? And a big part of this is like the rookie class. Rookies are almost always negative players. And somebody like Seku Dambuya not being in these tiers for me, not being in the top 40 is you know, I wish he were that. Wish, wish he were that good. But are, are there any? But is there anybody that you haven't talked about yet that you're confident will get there? That what we need is the passage of time. No, <laughs> I guess that's fair. 
I mean, who, who is that for you? I, I, Seku could get there. I'm, but I'm not. I'm not predicting. I'm not predicting it. The ones that I have, yeah. the, I have hope for the Hawks guys, Reddish and and Hunter. Yeah, but, but Hunter, if you put a gun to my head, I would say you know maybe not next year, but two years from now because he's older too. Uh, I mean, like his shooting has looked okay, and he's got the size to defend one on one. He's not a defensive playmaker though. So I mean, am I gonna like stake my reputation that like yeah, DeAndre Hunter is gonna become a top twenty small forward in the league? No, I wouldn't uh i'm not travis schlank but you know i think he's got the most tools of this group and is you know older than some so you put a gun to my head out of those younger guys like he would be the one i would pick to to be higher next year or the year after i hadn't looked at my because i don't i don't look at him while i'm working on it to buy i think it would bias the results i don't look at my prior year's rankings before and one of the things that surprised me most was how similar certain players are so like chris middleton i had him six last year and have him six this year and he was in the start tier i'd say that's i i I define the terms differently now but there were a few players like that jason tatum eight and eight so i I, I don't know if that was me looking a little bit ahead with some of those guys being a little bit higher or whatever, but it's it, I did find it interesting. Well, and there have been, I think a lot of players have gotten better in this group uh, and, you know, or reestablished themselves in some ways. So, yeah, I mean, I think, you, you know, Chris Middleton is definitely better this year than he was last year, but he went from seven to six uh, on my list. But uh, we could talk about some of these biggest risers first. I mean, number one to me, I had Kawhi Leonard third last year and he's number one now I had and that part of yeah and then the other yeah. most important jump is is Luca I had Luca in the seven to nine range and that group of you know like very good players but not a not a star a superstar and now we created that group with just him and LeBron and that is you know jumping from seven to three might not sound like a lot but that is a gargantuan leap when you think about the context of not only the players that he jumped but also the level that he is now at 20 20 years old yeah, it's funny. Jimmy Butler, I had him at five last year. He's seven this year, and he's probably having a better year this year than he was last year. Um, yeah, and, and uh, Jalen Brown ha- had a, a big rise for me. He was 15 last year. He's up to nine this year. Ingram, I mean, he's probably the biggest riser just in terms of raw numbers. I mean, I had him 19th last year, which I thought was maybe even too high given the fact that he couldn't shoot at this time last year, and now he's up to 10th. So, uh, I, I mean, and that's, you know, this is a pretty good position right now where a, a guy who was an all-star I didn't think he deserved to be an all-star but you know in the east he would have been a clear all-star probably you know he's averaging 26 a game on pretty good efficiency that that guy is your the 10th best small forward he's even lower for you obviously but that's uh I mean you've definitely got really 10 players at this position that you would probably consider like all-star level of players uh, uh when you factor in the sorry east of course um a- any other big risers for you that you wanted to point out Royce O'Neal moving into the 13 to 20 tier that's a pretty big that's an important jump also for the utah jazz but really yeah not not as much as i expected some of that was the players that i was high on ended up working out you know like og i had in the same tiers before he is more firmly in this tier than before and i think that's important but yeah that that is a fundamental change um a couple others worth noting for me dylan brooks uh, had a big rise for me, I mean, granted, he was out with that foot issue last year. I think he's established himself defensively. I, I'd like him to shoot a little better than 43% from two. Uh, you know, may, maybe he needs to stop jacking some of these up. Although, I mean, Memphis, uh, they're in a little bit of a weird situation right now uh, with Jackson out and uh, kind of a, a really clearly building towards extra, even though they were in playoff position. Um, oh, I have one more riser. Gordon Hayward. Yeah. Last year, I had him in the sixth tier. That was based, I think that was probably around like 28 or something like that. Now I have 
him. What would be like in the 13 to 20? Again, I didn't rank in that tier. Uh, and GR3 was an, another one who really sure. bumped up for me. Fallers, Boulevard of Broken Dreams with some of these guys, but I mean, a lot of injury related. KD, Otto Porter, uh, you know, Paul George has fallen a little bit. Um, you know, again, the, Due, perhaps due to injury absences non-injury division joe ingles is a lot lower from me, which you would expect he, he's been periodically coming off the bench or not i think he slipped a little defensively his shooting hasn't been quite as good and you know for a, a role player in your getting into your early 30s that that's kind of what happens to you andre guadala i had in the definite starters group last year that was 10 to 14 i had him 14th and then this year he's in the 21 to 29 group and yeah i, I think some of that was think getting away from the warriors made me realize that that even that even and also i mean some of it was also probably him not playing and reminding us yeah i mean it's just that he hasn't played i mean i I think if you go back to the last time he played i mean he was very good in the certainly in the playoffs last year you know i mean he was every bit the guy that he'd been um i mean with game six he had like 25 points didn't he against against toronto um yeah but i mean you know you just price in the age the fact that he hasn't played we'll see maybe he'll be higher next year if he, if he really kills uh, it DeRozan's a follower for me but he's at a different position so i i don't have the yeah. numbers ha- handy but he certainly fell pretty far for me uh oh we didn't w- mention the name west matthews oh yeah i, I just ha- to just to get him in there yeah as, i had him in the 21 to 29 I, tier I, I just didn't mention yeah. everybody in that group i also have daniel house in that tier which i should that that's yeah. probably a little high but i like his shooting and i think he's good enough defensively yeah i worry a little i mean he's another one of these guys who has not proven that he can guard uh at a playoff level you know one of these top 10 small forwards one-on-one i mean he just i I still think back to him just like i mean there's getting beat by kevin durant that's happened to a lot of people but there's looking like you have absolutely no chance and that that's where he was at so um you know this will be a big playoffs for him as well i mean there's been a lot more attention on some of the other guys in houston We'll, we'll see what he's able to do uh in these playoffs and this is this is one of those positions too where man the playoffs really matters for for these guys right if you i mean just your ability to show that you can put up some resistance against some of the best guys in the playoffs that goes a long way for me in these rankings once we get below like the offensive superstar level of guys in this group all right we about done here yeah i think we are A, a useful exercise as always i mean that's a big part of why we do this is to just really piece together how how the position the the health of the position the relative value of different players and small forwards we talk about them a lot they're such pivotal players in the regular season but also in the playoffs and it's it i'm i'm happy with the strength of the position especially because if there are some young guys that step up then it can get a little bit i think there's going to be more guys hopefully coming into higher tiers than leaving them due to age and injury all right, everyone, have an awesome weekend, and we'll be back 15 and 60 mailbag. Make sure you look up my tweets uh, at Nate Duncan NBA. Respond to those. Uh, ben will get all those together, and uh, we'll try and hit on every team uh, for, assuming we get questions on them, for that uh, Eastern Conference 15 and 60 mailbag coming on Sunday night. We'll talk to you all then.